And wouldn't it be awesome to come face to face with some little boy or some little girl who said, so it was you who sent that shoebox. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, God is awesome. Let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. Well, Jesus, you are an amazing God who holds no good thing back from, from us, Lord God. Lord, you are worthy to be adored and honored and praised and worshipped, Lord Jesus. In the midst of our trials and circumstances, and we just declare again this morning that you are a great God. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in this service? Would you speak to us? Would you lead us and would you guide us? In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about prayer and um, between Pastor Rennie and, and myself and then also with our small groups. Uh, and I just really trust that, that God is speaking to you um, during this time. One of the first messages we did was, was about approaching God. And if you've missed these messages on our website, we have a new website out. Everything is on there. You can just go and click and, and hear every message. Uh, and it doesn't take an hour for the messages to come up, they're instant. And I thank Joe for his help with that. But um, we've talked about just approaching God and, and just our vision of who he is. Because our vision of who he is can really affect how we pray. And we've got to understand that we come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who holds everything in his hands. And I just, I just pray that, that, that every time that you now go to pray with, to the Lord, that, that that vision that we read about in Revelation 4 and 5, that that image comes to your mind. I talked about persisting in prayer and, and never giving up and continuing. And, and Pastor Rennie's been talking and preaching about the Lord's Prayer. And especially last week, he, he said that, you know, how we, should, we need to seek God for, for our daily bread. And sometimes we think our daily bread looks like a certain thing where our daily bread is really who he is. And we start asking for the wrong things. And this morning, I want to talk about, honestly, unanswered prayers. I know none of you guys have unanswered prayers. But some of us do. Jeremiah 29.11, right? Something, a verse we know well says what? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you believe this? Okay, now that's the right answer. Now how many of you really believe this? All right. Now, how many of you believe this when you're going through a really tough trial? Because I found that, that it's easy to believe this when things are going good. But the truth is, in my own life, there are times where I'm going through something. And when I hear this passage or this verse, I kind of go, I just don't feel this right now. I don't get how this could possibly benefit me or be good for me. And I can look at Scripture and justify my feelings by quoting Scripture and going, it just doesn't feel that. Anybody else feel that? I mean, I know that's maybe not very spiritual, but it's the truth, right? I mean, there are times where you kind of go through, you know, it's like when you get a spanking from your parents. You know, I still believe in spanking. I probably shouldn't say that, but, but, but my kids are getting older, but... But when I got to speak for my, my parents, they'd be like, it's because I love you. It's like, yeah, I'm not feeling that right now. I know you say that, but this doesn't feel it. I wish I'd felt different, your love. But we know as parents that when we discipline our kids, right, we discipline them. Why? Because we're training and we're correcting. And it is 
our love for our kids because we want to see them grow up and grow up right. But there are times in our lives where you read scriptures, you know, and in the midst of your trial, you're looking at them, you're going, I'm not feeling this right now. In fact, I have a hard time believing that this is a loving God. Especially in our times of trial, in our incredibly overwhelming circumstances. And so many times in our trial, our vision gets limited, and we can't see beyond the barrier in front of us. Right? Have you had that? You can't see beyond the fear. You can't seem to see beyond the mountain. You can't seem to see beyond the obstacle. And this isn't criticism. This is life. This is what we go through, and we're not alone in this. So please trust me when I say that. This is something that I deal with as well. We all deal with this. James, and I know we probably don't like this, but James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I alluded to this probably a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, but the testing of your faith, think about that. The testing of your faith. Well, what is faith? What is the testing of faith? Well, faith is being sure of what you hope for and of what you do not see, right? So how do you test that? When you're confident that God's going to show up in a certain way, when that is tested, the only way I can imagine that that is tested is when he doesn't show up in the way you're convinced he's going to show up. That's how you test basically the strength of a piece of rope. You test the strength of a rope by putting the weight on it that it says it can hold, not by putting less weight on it. You begin to test it. And so what we read in James is that this testing and this, these trials is when everything that we believe and everything that we're praying for and everything that we're hoping for seems to be stretched further and further and further. And it's not comfortable. And it? become kind of worrying, and you, we can experience a lot of fear. Let me put it to you this way. I want to tell you this little story, and it's about early Native Americans, the early Indians, and, and what they used to do. The early Native Indians had a unique practice of training up young men. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after he'd learned to hunt and to fish and, and all of these skills that he needed to learn, he faced a final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. He was taken out there blindfolded. This is a nice birthday present. And led out miles and miles away to a place we'd never been before. And he was left there, having been trained to hunt and fish in the middle of the night, in the woods and historic. And he's left there all night long. And the test is, can he survive this night? It's a terrifying night for a 13-year-old, even with his skill set. I can only imagine there with grizzlies and wolves or whatever, as he's sitting there, I imagine it was probably a very sleepless night. I can imagine that for this boy as he's sitting there, every twig that broke, he probably imagined and feared the worst It could have been a squirrel on a stick that broke it, but in his mind it was probably a grizzly bear stalking and waiting to come after him. 
And so after this terrifying and fearful night, in complete darkness, not knowing where he is, not knowing how to get out of this, but knowing all he had to do was kind of stay there and just try and pray that he could stay alive, the light would begin to come. After about probably 12 hours, the light would begin to rise up and he'd begin to see and make out things in the darkness and he'd begin to see flowers and, and, and trees and his vision got a little bit better and then he'd begin to see a path. And then what would typically happen is in the midst of this, as he's focusing through this haze of the morning that's coming up, he would make out this outline of a figure that was standing there. And as light became a little bit clear, he realized this wasn't just any figure, this was a figure of a man. And it wasn't just a man, it was his father. And it turns out his father had been there all night long with a bow, silently, beyond his vision, waiting and looking after I think it's safe to say that for this 13-year-old boy, in this terrifying circumstance, if his parents or the tribe's members are leading him out there and they're saying, we're doing this for your own good, maybe he'd understand to a degree. But the minute he's left out there alone, I know if it was me, I'd probably be thinking, yeah, this is for my own good. If I live, if I don't get eaten, if I don't die... And even knowing that, hey, this is for my own good, I bet that in the middle of that night, he was ready to pack it all in. He didn't care if it was for his own good. He probably convinced himself, there's no way this is helpful to me. I don't get how immense fear, being alone, being afraid, is good for me. I think when I read this, too, that a lot of us can relate to this. How many of you have ever felt that in your own circumstances, right? With God. I mean, you ever feel like you've been led out to this place, this dry place, this place of pain, this place of immense worry or fear of what could happen, the what ifs? In the midst of that, you're going, okay, yeah, God's plans are good for me, hope in a future. This doesn't feel like it's good for me. How can this be good for me if I die? How can this be good for me if it ends wrong? And so this boy in these dark woods, he can't see. He can't see anything. He can't see beyond the darkness. He can't see his way home. And he finds himself incredibly limited by his circumstances. His vision is limited by where he is, by the darkness. And so when he can't see, everything becomes something of worry to him. Everything becomes something dangerous. How many of you have been there where maybe you, you don't, necessarily know what's coming, but you kind of imagine the worst or you fear the worst. And sometimes when you find yourself in that place, it seems like every crack of a branch, so to speak, in your life, you, it, it almost triggers another emotion, another fear of what if it's this and what if it's that? And then we begin getting basically knocked around by these waves of doubt and waves of worry as if we've been abandoned and been alone. Because in our trials, our vision is limited by our circumstances in so many cases. We can't see our way out of circumstances. We can't see our way out of the, the trial. 
And so oh, what, we, what we're left to do is basically just begin to, to pray in our midst of our circumstances. All I can see is this fear, and all I can see is this darkness, and all I can see is the what-ifs. And when I begin to pray, I can't see the bigger picture. I can just see my limited view, and that limited view begins to really affect the way I pray. And so I start praying, oh God, protect me from the grizzly bear, which I know it was this grizzly bear who broke the stick. Oh God, I protect me from this thing. Oh God, get me out of here. I imagine this 30-year-old boy's prayers was not, God, make me a strong warrior like my dad. It was, God, if you just get me out of here, I just want to go home. I don't want to endure this. And if I could somehow go home right now and still be strong, that's what I want. But I don't want to go through this. And I find that in my trials, and I find that, and I think it's probably true not just of myself, but all of us, when we find ourselves in these, in these circumstances, and we can't see beyond the greatest fear, again, beyond the greatest pain, beyond the greatest mountain, we begin praying with limited vision. And we pray with limited vision, God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers because we're not praying according to his will. God sees beyond our limited vision. God sees beyond our greatest fears. And so a lot of times we find ourselves, and many times we get discouraged, I don't understand why God isn't answering this prayer. What I'm praying is for a good thing. And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying it's limited. I'm just saying that when we pray sometimes according to our circumstances with our limited vision, we're not seeing the big picture. And we're praying for things that get us out of things. Rather than praying, like Pastor Rain preached about last week, praying for, for the bread of heaven, the bread of life to come to us and strengthen us and help us and give us hope to walk through what he's called us to walk through. Limited vision affects our prayers. You know, we often see in Scripture the following words. Mark 8, 18. Jesus says, you have eyes, but you fail to see, and ears, but you fail to hear. Psalms 135, 16 through 18 says, you have mouths, but cannot speak, and eyes, but cannot see, and you have ears, but cannot hear. And this is repeated through Scripture time and time again. Eyes without seeing. I think that really defines this little Indian boy. He has eyes, but he can't see the whole picture. And so what he can see defines how he thinks. And what we can see defines how we think. What we can see defines how we pray. And when we pray to God with our limited vision, and we expect God to answer our limited vision, and he doesn't show up that way, a lot of times we get discouraged. A lot of times you go, you know, where is God? What I'm praying for is good. What I'm praying for is a good thing. And as far as that we can see, it does look like a good thing. I've prayed for things that I've really believed have been good. And I believe, well, this has got to be good. This is a way to bring glory to God's name. But God's vision is so much bigger than someone's vision. He sees the whole picture, not just what I see. And we pray for things, obviously, why? Because our flesh gets in there. I don't like pain. Just don't. I don't like sickness. I have a real hard time with James. 
consider it pure joy? You know, as we, as we all do, why? Because it's just not natural for us to enjoy these things. But we have the confidence in knowing that God says that he's with us, that his plans for us are good to help us and to prosper us. But we mustn't get discouraged when we pray, when things don't happen right away. Because when he doesn't answer our prayers, in many cases, it is the answer. Not in all cases. There are times where he says, I don't want you to pray for me because you treat your spouse terribly. I'm not even going to hear what you say. There are cases where he says, what, you haven't even forgiven your brother. And now you're coming to me? Yes, there are those cases. But there are cases too when, when we pray and he answers. So I want you to think about this. Think about Abraham. 25 years. 25 years he waited for the promise of God. Sometimes we can't wait 25 days. Six months, I'm going, oh, God didn't hear this one. 25, I'm not going to the 13th year. I'm still trusting God, right? But see, God's answers don't have to be immediate. I love what, what, what Mark Batterson says. Our prayers do not expire, all right? God's answer of our prayers, are always, he's always going to answer our prayers according to what's best for you and what's best for me. And sometimes the answer is, yes, but not now. You're going to wait. And sometimes the answer is, no, you think that's good for you, but it's not good for you. And what happens to us sometimes is when we hear that answer, or we just hear nothing, we get discouraged and we stop persisting in our prayers. Rather than realizing, wait a second, am I praying with limited vision? James chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. It goes on to say that you may spend what you get on yourselves. I want to tackle this from two different ways this morning. The one way is that you ask with the wrong motives. What are our motives? Our motives are always what? Self-protection, right? I mean, pretty much well, a lot of our motives are self-protection when we face trials. God, you know, I protect my heart, protect me from this. This is what I need to be happy. And it's all about self. And I understand that. But a lot of times, too, you know, the Bible says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God does not like worldly vision. And a lot of times, our, our prayers line up with the desires of the world, not necessarily with the desires of the kingdom. And so sometimes we can go, hey, I, I want this job, or I want this. And, and what's happening is really we're using God as this engine to achieve for us the God of this world. God is now my source to get what everybody else in this world has and wants, but I'm using God to achieve it for myself, and because I'm using God, it's now spiritual. No, it's not. He's not the engine to get you anything. He is everything. He is what you want. He is what you need. He is it all. And he will not be used and prayed to that way. And so what James is saying, man, when we ask, we ask for the wrong motive. Sometimes it's all selfish. Sometimes like, God, get me out of this, you know? And God's saying, no, don't understand. I'm doing something with you right now. This is being used to train you and to equip you. And sometimes our prayers are, oh, God, I, I want more success. And what we're feeding is a fleshly hunger, appetite inside of us that is not godly, that God is trying to starve out. It's uncrucified flesh is what it is. And so we've got to be careful in how we pray. We need to understand that there's a bigger picture in our lives. 
And we need to pray, God, give me eyes to see. Give me wisdom to know. Help me to see things through your eyes and not just fleshly eyes. Eyesight through God. Look at Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And I love it because we get examples in Scripture when you actually realize God didn't answer, well, he did answer Paul's prayer, but not the way Paul wanted him to answer it. It says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I say, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Three times Paul says this. Man, there's been a thorn. He says, it's come from Satan, this thorn in my flesh. We don't know exactly what it is, some sin, something that he's going, man, there's something in my life that is not bringing glory to God. This cannot be from God. This is not what he has for me. This God, I'm praying according to his will. He doesn't want me to struggle with this. This is, what, this is not what my life should look like. And boy, how much more could I do for the kingdom if, if I wasn't struggling with this thing? And three times he's crying out to God. Sounds like a good prayer, right? I mean, it sounds like something that would be according to God's will. How could that not be according to God's will? But Paul's praying and seeing with his limited vision until God steps in and opens his eyes. And what God says to him is, listen, this is important for you to have. Because if you don't have this, you're going to be the most arrogant so-and-so ever. In fact, I'm going to use the very thing that you don't think you want that you don't want that is not good. I'm going to use it to even further my kingdom more because I can further my kingdom more by keeping you humble than I can by letting you become arrogant and destroy it because God hates pride. So in this circumstance where Paul cries out, God reveals to him, and all of a sudden he gets eyes to see through God's eyes beyond his limited circumstances, beyond the sin, where God says, my grace has already covered that. And in fact, I'm going to use that in your life to keep you where you need to be, to let you always know you are not righteous enough. You are not spiritual enough that you need me in everything because by nature you are a sinner. It's kind of cool to know if he didn't answer Apostle Paul's prayer sometimes, that we're not so alone. And Paul was praying for a good thing. And so Paul says this, man, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm in hardships and when I'm in trials, man, when I'm in persecutions, that's when this love of God strengthens me because I know I am nothing and I can't do anything. And what I need in my weakness and in my sin and in my persecution is one thing, not just deliverance from that. I need more of who he is. I need more of who he is because that is my answer to everything. God, more of you, more of you. Daily bread, you are my daily bread. You are everything to me. And in my circumstances, what I really need is more of you. 
Even Jesus was faced with going through something that he didn't want to go through, right? Three times Jesus prayed. The Garden of Gethsemane, right? Lord, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? But Jesus wasn't limited by vision. In fact, even as he prayed that, he knew the answer to that. And he even identified, yet not my will, but your will be done. You know, scholars believe, a lot of people go, okay, this, it was about this. You know what? It wasn't so much, not that the death and the cross wasn't horrific, but I want you to think about it this way. Jesus, part of the Trinity, the Godhead, right, never separated from, 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 from the Trinity, from God the Father, from the Holy Spirit. It, it wasn't the cross that he was terrified of. It wasn't physical death. It was separation from God. It was the six hours when God the Father would turn his face from Jesus, the first that ever happened to Jesus. It was, it was not this, the, the, the death on the cross was nothing compared to having God look away from you. He was about to carry, it was like he was going to be thrown up on by the entire world. He was going to be, he was made sin for us so much that God would not even look at him. And so what he's facing is, man, the the cross and and dying, that's nothing. That's not the problem. The problem is, oh God, is there any other way than me being separated from you for six hours? Because that is unbearable to me. Is there any other way than having you turn your face from me? What were Jesus' words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't my God, my God, why am I on this cross? My God, my God, why have you turned your face from me? The agony of being separated for six hours from God. And so in Jesus' prays, this is what he doesn't want to go through. Jesus prayed constantly. He was in constant communion with God the Father. This was his life. He who had no sin. And so he says, Lord, if there's there's any other way that I don't, that this can be accomplished, that I don't have to be separated from you, and God's answer to him is basically this, there is no other way. Because what I am achieving through this is beyond measure. And what I am doing through this is for the greatest good, and you will not remain separated from me. And praise God, he rose again. Where would we be? Where would we be if a loving God looked at his son and said, you know what, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But he did it for you. And he did it for me. And he chose to let his son go through this agony that you and I might live and have life. And so when we're going through our trials and we see these areas, listen, this is the flesh in Jesus. This is human nature. He was was 100% God, 100% human as well. He was sinless, but this was the human nature. Guys, we have the same thing. I don't like pain. I don't like misery. I know James says that, but I don't have pure joy. I might read it. I hate Job. Some people tell me, oh, I love Job. I'm like, I don't even read Job. I don't want, I mean, I know he gets it all back. It's just like the beginning part I don't like. I'm just being honest. I mean, does anybody want Job's life? No, I don't care if you got a hundred times back or whatever. Ah, just, you know, thank you for Job, God, and um, please let it just be him. 
I'm just being honest. I mean, it's, it's not, I don't, it's, pain is horrible. But God knows what he's doing. His vision is beyond ours. And so here Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to face something he doesn't want to go through. But God's vision is so far beyond ours. I was talking to Lori the other day, and this is not part of this. I don't want to get off on it. But when Lori got saved in, in, in Chickamauga, Georgia, um, at a young age, she got saved at a separate event. What turned out her best friend, and all you guys have met Missy. She went to Haiti with us last time. Missy got saved the exact same week as Lori did at a different event. And it was, it was kind of cool. Lori was like, you know, it was so God, God cared so much about me. He didn't want me to walk this alone that my best friend, got saved the exact same week as I did. And, and it's a beautiful thing. But now as I stand on this and, and I look back, she's now the director of missions at a mega church, okay, her best friend. And, but it's just that during Lori's, at Lori's viewpoint, at the time that she was saved, was so limited. I'm not picking on her. It's just it's true of all of us. It's like, God, this is so we could walk together in friendship. And, and, and that's true, but God's vision was so much bigger than that. God saw this big picture, and what's so cool is that she went to Haiti with us, and she wasn't director of missions yet. She went to Haiti with us, and, 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 and she knew about us going to Haiti because of Lori's friendship. So this girl from the south in Georgia came up and went with us, went to Haiti with us, came back, met you guys, and now she's gone back, and she is large. There's now 1027 projects in, in a mega church in, in, in Georgia because she came here. I'm not, it's not being intended, but missions in this church was launched. And lives are being touched all over. They have a huge missions budget, something I'd love. But it's just, I look at this and I go, man, yes, God cared about your friendship. But God cared about kids in different countries. And he used your friendship in a way you never would have thought because his vision is so big. And so he's using this to reach across states. And they just called up the other day going, hey, how can we help in New York? This is a big church. And they're calling us to find out so we can point in the way. And just, God just knows. He's positioning everything. He knows what he's doing. And we can't see this big picture. And sometimes we pray with a limited vision. And we're like, God, get me out of this. And God says, you know, if you could only see what I'm doing. If you could only see what I'm doing. Go back to Joshua. He has to cross the flooding Jordan River. God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Well, you're with me. It's not a flooding Jordan River. You're with me. It's a bridge over the river with flowers on it. That's you with me. Not to destroy you, you know. But, but, and, 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 and God's like, I know you're terrified. I know you're terrified but don't be afraid. You know, but on the other side of that Jordan River, when God parted the rivers and did this amazing thing, guarantee Joshua's like, that's my God. I'm glad he didn't put a bridge over that. I'm glad because God made Joshua in the crossing of that Jordan River. And I believe wholeheartedly that he gave not just Joshua, but the entire uh, Israelite uh, community and that army the motivation and the courage to go, man, that's who my God. Jericho, we'll take Jericho. We'll take Jericho. Would they have had the courage to take Jericho if there had been a bridge over the Jordan? Maybe not. But man, they were, they were moving. They had just conquered something amazing. They knew who their God was. And then they went and did something completely ridiculous and walked around Jericho until the walls came down. You know? But it was based on, hey, wait, God told Joshua that we're going to cross this river, and Joshua's terrible, and he did it anyway, and God did tell Joshua, so we actually saw it happen. So now Joshua's telling us we have to march around Jericho. 
you know, all these times, would they have believed them if it hadn't been for the Jordan River? But I guarantee Joshua was like, God, just, 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 can you make the river go down? I'll cross. Can you just make it go down? Our vision, we cannot see what God is doing. We cannot see the big picture, but he promises us that through our trials and through our pains and through all of these things, man, his plans for you and his plans for me are good. And I can't give you answers as to why these certain things happen. I can't tell you all of these things that it's because of this or it's because of that. Listen, this is such an individual journey. This is so individual. And it's so intentionally focused on, on you. I want to God, God's just looking at you just so personally. He knows every heartache and every fear and every worry and every concern that you have. And he's paying close attention to you. And if you're yielding yourself, and, and, and yes, you know what? I'm not going to say that we, we just quit playing, praying fleshly things. We're going to pray things that we believe you know, are good for us. And, and, and the point behind this is just keep praying. Like don't, 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 be, don't, don't, don't be hindered by what you feel like God's not showing up. He's not saying anything. He's not answering. He's not giving the answer. And so we back off on praying. Just keep praying. Keep persisting. Keep trusting God. And I know that some people are going through some horrific things. And I, 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 I'm praying for you guys as well. But I know that God is faithful. And I know that we cannot see what he does see. In this story with this Indian boy, and I love this story because I just really feel like it almost parallels so many of our lives and so many of our trials. After a terrifying night, after no sleep, after feeling completely alone, completely abandoned, all of a sudden, the sun begins to rise. And things aren't quite as dark as they once were. And as the sun begins to rise, his limited vision begins to be expanded a little bit more. He can see a little bit further. And he can see a little bit more. And as his vision begins to increase, he sees things that he didn't know were there before. And one of the most important things that he sees, to his amazement, is that his father has been there the entire time. Man, that's so true of us. And there are times where I've gone, like, God, I really don't understand this. God, I really don't feel like you're here. Man, I just want to sense your presence. And yes, I want your will, but man, I don't feel like you're there but I just can't see him through the darkness sometimes. But he is there. And he's standing there. And more impressively is he's not just standing there, but he's standing there armed. And it turns out that this Indian boy probably could have curled up in a ball and gone to sleep, and he would have been okay. He didn't have to worry or fret about anything that was out there because his dad was there. And I can promise you that his dad wasn't curled up in a ball sleeping against a tree. His dad was there more attentive than that little boy was. Every snap of a twig, his dad was there paying attention to exactly what it was, maybe even moving around to that area to make sure that whatever was out there did not come and destroy him. And he was ready to destroy whatever came to attack his boy. But he didn't need to know. He, his son didn't need to know that he was there because he was training his son. His son needed to learn to trust, needed to build his own confidence up. And so in the midst of this, while his, his father is there taking care and protecting, 
Here's this boy, fearful. I think about that, Father. How hard it must have been to watch his son go through a terrifying night. Come on, you have kids. You know what I'm talking about. Did he see his son curl up in a ball and start weeping and crying? Did he want to reach out to him and go, let me just go to him and just tell him, no, it's okay, I'm here, don't worry, because that's what a father does. But he quietly stood by and had to say, no, he needs this. Because what this is achieving in his life is far greater. This night will define him. And I have to let him go through this, but I'm going to protect him. So all through this night, this father just quietly watches, but he's monitoring every situation and every circumstance with great detail and great care and great insight and great vision. And he can see into this boy's 20s and 30s and 40s. Not just a single night, but this boy can't see beyond, I died on my 13th birthday by a grizzly bear in the woods. Well, my parents said it was good. And the fear in him was that sometimes that's like where we are. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Psalms 23 says what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, though you take me around it and I bypass it completely. It says, but your rod and your staff, you comfort me. You are there with me. We need to know that in our darkest hours when we can't seem to see past our problems and past our fears, when we feel abandoned and when we feel alone and when we feel like, man, I'm crying my heart out and what I believe I'm praying for is so good and so godly and I can back it by scripture. We don't seem to have answers to know that he has not abandoned us. Sometimes he delays and the answers for appointed time. And sometimes he says, no, not now. You need to learn. You need to train. You need to go through this. He hears you. He sees you. He sees every tear. He sees every heartache, every pain. And he's there for you. In my own life, as in your lives, you know this is true. In your darkest hours, sometimes when the sun begins to rise in your trial and you go through the other side and you look back, how many of you have realized, wow, he was there the whole time? Right? Happens to me all the time. Especially in the trials where I go like, man, I just feel like I didn't feel him at all. And then I look back and go, man, I can see the finger of God so clearly on how he positioned and he placed and he was there with me the entire time. He never left me. And what that does for me in my soul is it strengthens me and encourages me. And guess what? James becomes true in my life when I go, wow, there he was the whole time. And the next time I go through trials, although I encounter the same kinds of fears, my mind goes back to his faithfulness. My mind goes back to the fact that he was always there. Even though to this day things I go through I do not understand, I can go, wow, he's there. And he is there for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How does this deal with prayer? I believe that a lot of us get discouraged way too easy, including myself. I believe a lot of us quit praying way too soon. 
I believe a lot of us quit marching around Jericho on the fifth day, sometimes the second day. Uh, and as Mark Batterson says too, sometimes we're just one prayer away from getting the answer that God's going to give us. He wants us to persist in our prayers. That we always need to persist. And yes, we need to be detailed. I'm not saying, listen, you know, just pray, oh, God's will be done, God's will be done. Now, those are kind of generic prayers. But, but articulate your prayers. Be detailed in your prayers, but always go, but God, your will be done. Jesus prayed specifically for what he wanted, but he said, but Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. His prayer was answered. And Paul's prayer was answered. And your prayers will be answered. He is for you. He is not against you. And so I want to encourage you in your prayer life, listen, don't be discouraged and don't be distracted by what we consider unanswered prayers or delayed prayers. Continue to push forward. Continue to persist. But also pray for wisdom and pray that God, give me eyes to see. Help me to see beyond my circumstances. And I believe that as you begin to see beyond your circumstances, the way you pray will change as well. Amen. Will you stand to your feet?